folks, I am so excited to introduce you. If you don't already know Megan DeBoer of Tended Wealth, I think this conversation is going to be really juicy for so many of us. I know I'm really looking forward to this. Megan's work is about having a really harmonious relationship with money, regardless of how much you have. And she has this really quite beautiful values-led mission to evolve both our collective and individual understanding of the real potent healing role that money can play in our lives. Hey guys and gals and non-binary pals, this is Courage and Spice, the podcast for humans with self-doubt, hosted by me, Sass Petherick. I'm a coach and supervisor and I'm a little bit obsessed with how we heal the root causes of our self-doubt. On the podcast, you can expect interviews with delightful humans and evidence-based resources and original coaching tools. So if self-doubt is holding you back, then Courage and Space was made especially for you with so much love. I'm so glad you're here. So Megan is the founder of Tended Wealth. She's a wealth doula in every sense of that word and defines wealth as this multifaceted state of abundance. So in relationships and health and community and our environment, and of course, our finances. Megan is a skillful tender of the relationship between these inner shifts we go through and the outer results. And money is kind of the doorway. In much the same way that my work is using self-doubt as the doorway, it's really about this understanding of who we are and who we want to be, the lives we want to live. I really love how thoughtful and values-led Megan's work is. Um, she is a literal birth doula and also a certified financial recovery counsellor. I'm so glad you're here, Megan. It's a real treat to finally get to chat. Oh, thank you so much, Sass. And it's just such a pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to this and connecting because your work is so beautiful and aligned with the work that I do. I'm just excited to have this conversation. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, and, and you know, when before we hit record, folks, we were talking about these lovely crossovers, like Megan is in Portland, I'm in Bristol. So the the our weather patterns are kind of the same. The politics of our cities are kind mm -hmm. of the same. And we both had this really lovely synchronicity over the summer where we were in Greece at the same time, which was <laughs> kind of fun because we were in the same time zone and sharing pics. And, you know, it sounds like both of us aren't really big swimmers, but in Greece, we kind of <laughs> totally in can't Greece get us are. out of the water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love it. I love it. Yeah. And I love the, the symbolism of that, I guess, because there's so much about that idea of being in a flow, right? Of being it, like, I always feel my most abundant. Like when I think about what abundance means to me, I, I go to a visceral memory of being in the sea in Greece. That feels mm. so abundant to me. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What a beautiful place to, <laughs> what a beautiful place to begin. And yeah. Gosh, I mean, just that visceral feeling of being in flow, being being supported. I think yeah. for me personally, this last the this last trip when we were in Greece, the water 
felt like such an incredible teacher for me and just mm -hmm. floating and being supported and being held and really that experience of all that we need can be right here and mm -hmm. we can have access to it it's really about being with ourselves in the present moment and holding space for that yeah. expansive state rather than the contraction which is very natural and very common and which i have felt i mean just using swimming is like the i've always felt very contracted and fear-based in in water mm -hmm. and when i think of abundance and i think of flow and i think of expansiveness being in water and being supported by water is such a literal visceral feeling of that mm. and so mm. i i just kept imprinting that feeling and just it just deepened so much of my thinking about money and wealth in my body in my felt sense last trip so i love that well and and i am hoping i don't butcher the metaphor too much but I guess, you know, for most of us, our relationship with money isn't floating in an azure blue sea, no, right? No. <laughs> there are much choppier waters for most, <laughs> myself included, right? I'm curious about your take on that. Like, why is it, do you think, that we, what is literally sexy paper, mm -hmm. why do you think we have such a tumultuous, sometimes problematic often quite icky relationship with money. Mm, yes. And yes, no, it is not always the floating in the <laughs> floating in the Mediterranean experience. And I think where I see money, so money is just literal paper and it's also an agreement that we make between us as humans about what we place our value on and it becomes and it's a very neutral form of exchange but energetically it is formed our our relationship with it symbolically it is a representation of security and stability and we attach a lot of meaning to it and so it becomes this sponge of all of this projected fear, perception of safety, which includes belonging, belonging within our community, belonging within our family. So there's a lot of story, a lot of narrative, a lot of complexity that is just hurled onto it. And we make a lot of personal meaning out of it. And I think, mm -hmm. For so many of us, there is an internalized powerlessness that comes, especially for those of us who have been conditioned and raised as women, there is sort of this exclusion to that power. And so there is then that layer over, yeah. overlaid on top of it where yeah. uh, we don't we don't feel comfortable with that power. We may unconsciously or consciously reject the form of that power. We have money. I, I see money as a neutral entity in and of itself, but culture, experience, personal history, all of that is overlaid and it gets very tangled very quickly mm. 
before we're even conscious of that yeah. connection. And so, so much of my work is beginning to untangle and at least understand and understand our own personal context within that complexity and and stretch it to what is not personal, yeah. <laughs> what has been overlaid so yeah. that we can neutralize it, neutralize yeah. our relationship with it and begin using it as this co-creative force, which is to me, in, from my perspective, as, as hard as it is to get there. And I, I don't want to pretend like I'm there all the time, even for myself, but there are moments of like, oh, this, this is a neutral energy. This can be a co-creative energy that we have created as humans to affect change. And that's where there, to me, it, there's like this really powerful reclamation of what money can be, what force it can be in our lives. Mm -hmm. And again, the journey to get to that place or even for a moment is, is not easy, but I wanna be the voice of like, I want to return to that. I want yeah. to untangle those cultural systemic layers that have been projected onto it. And we need to do that in our own personal checking accounts, in our mm. own personal choices every day. This is not like, yes, there is the bigger economy to be doing that work in. And that is a requirement for all of mm -hmm. us to be um, disengaging with certain patterns. And it's also in ourselves. It's it's both. It's the micro, it's the macro. And we, yeah. we I feel... I just feel so passionate that we do that work. <laughs> yeah, I can feel it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just so important. <laughs> it really is. And, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about this and, and just, I'm just playing with my own relationship with receiving right now. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of theme yes. that I've uncovered some sticky beliefs I have about receiving and I'm kind of playing with that and I, it's not my favorite. <laughs> and I've been thinking a lot about how my grandmothers weren't able to open their own checking accounts. Yes, yes. And how it's only been in yes. my mother's generation that we had independent income. Yes. And so, I, you know, whenever I start to go, why can't you, why can't you just be different, right? Because that's my go-to. Yes. I, I have to come back to that kind of compassionate reminder that actually this is new. It is new. It's it's new for us as women to be trusted with power and resources. We haven't been given that. We've had to claim it. Mm. And that's hard. And so there's something for me about broadening the lens outside of that personal experience to be able to see the wider systems that we are playing and that we're influenced by that can be really healing to kind of go oh yeah I I don't have a long-standing innate belief or beliefs about money that are really healthy because both sides of my family kind of grew up in poverty so yes. what yes. I've inherited is a ton of beliefs that aren't that great, aren't that healthy for me, but mm. also I can completely understand given the context of my, both my parents grew up in the Northeast of England, very, it's kind of the rust belt of equivalent in the UK, very, very working class and have, a, have given, handed over to me a lot of beliefs about money that 
I have never questioned. And as mm. I'm starting to question them, it's like the work that you, you're describing of we have to untangle some of that and decide what we want to keep yes. and what we want to leave. Oh, yes. Mm. Oh, and it's so beautiful that you're stepping into that, into that exploration as uncomfortable as it is, but to see the doorway that's opened, you know, it's like, oh, there's this really uncomfortable part of me yeah. stepping into looking at my relationship with receiving. And I imagine, you know, I mean, this, this is my personal work is around my relationship with receiving. So this is, this is a big part of my own story and a big part of the work that I help people with. And there are so many fascinating layers. It's like there's the money layer and then there are all these other layers. And, and to be in the, to tolerate the discomfort of what comes up there in the personal realm, and then to broaden it and to see yourself in the context of the lineage that you mm. have come from and the history, the lived history of your grandparents and your parents and what they had to do to survive mm -hmm. and the narratives that formed as a way, as a form of protection for that survival, all of it makes so much sense in the context of where you find yourself in this moment. Mm -hmm. And then if you broaden it beyond the familial, then it is the cultural context and the powers that required that require you to believe a certain way about yourself, that it's not okay to receive, it's not safe to receive. Who are, who are you if you, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> receive really easily? So it's just beautiful that you are stepping into that, into that space yourself and mm -hmm. beginning to explore. And yeah, isn't it incredible to think about our grandmothers, our mothers, what we have access to personally in our lifetime. I mean, I just, I always think like 1975, the year I was born is when a woman was able to get a credit card without, yeah. you know, a husband, a father, a brother. <laughs> it's like yeah. madness. It's just, it madness. really is. Yeah. And that's yeah. not long ago. And yeah. it's been so fascinating. I've worked, my client base spans a really wide range. And so I work with women, I work with women and men, but I've worked with women in their early thirties and women in their seventies and seeing, I have this incredible cross-section mm -hmm. of this very intimate view of the narrative and how it has changed over generations. Mm -hmm. And it is fascinating the difference between a 70 year old and their limiting beliefs versus mm -hmm. the 30 year old who has a pretty wide open in comparison, yeah. a wide open range of what they see as possible for themselves. And yeah. that's just testament to, again, depersonalizing those aspects that feel so personal and yeah can bring up so much shame in us. And when yeah. we, when that shame is, is not ours, it's not our fault. It's like, it's, mm. we, we are now responsible for untangling and doing things differently, but it is not coming from a personal failure. 
And that's mm. the most important thing mm -hmm. to underscore and to bring into the conversation so that we're not doubting ourselves. Yeah. Thinking yeah. of ourselves in these really negative, in these negative ways yeah. and our ability and capability with money, because that's not the story. That's mm. not. I'm just thinking as you're describing your client group and the span of that, and I'm, I'm so lucky to have a similar experience of working with mostly women from all different age groups and, and cultural and backgrounds and personal narratives. And I find it quite fascinating. What's one of the reasons I love group work is when we all get together and we're like, oh, me too. That's so weird, right? And, <laughs> and also if we share all of these unhelpful beliefs, maybe it's not us. Like maybe, you know, how could that have come from us if we all share these kinds yes. of stories around our worthiness and our, you know, need to work really hard and to earn everything that is, yeah. you know, everything that we 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 receive. There's something about that that can be really healing. Just that sense of I'm not in this alone, yes. and maybe this isn't just my story. It can feel a bit like we're sharing the load. Oh, absolutely, and yeah. and it's why. Group work is so valuable. <clears throat> this conversation is so valuable to begin that process of mm. diffusing the shame mm -hmm. that becomes the mechanism for keeping us from more of that power, mm -hmm. more of that wealth, more of that confidence that, yeah. that hasn't been a part of our story for so yeah. long. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious, Megan, what you think of the the kind of what we're aiming for, right? Like, like what's the alternative? Because I'm I'm really curious about imagining the world that we want to live in. Like, I think if there's one thing that we do have a poverty of, it is the ability to imagine a different way. We're very good at saying not this, mm -hmm. but but it's I think it's more complicated to go. Well, what's the alternative? And to put our energies into that and I guess what I see in in my world and I I'm I wonder if you relate I see a lot of women particularly women business owners who feel like the answer is for them to become multiple six-figure or seven-figure earners mm -hmm. right that that actually what we want to do is redistribute wealth yeah. so that more women have control of it yeah. and and the, I think the thinking is because therefore it will be in better, safer, more generous hands. Mm. And I kind of call bullshit on that. I'm not sure that that is actually mm. the only answer. Mm. Because what we do then is replicate the same yes. economic structure that yes. is so inequitous. Yes. And yes, I think that's one of the, things I'm uncovering is, oh, actually, there's a values piece in here for me about why I resist receiving yes. because of all the unwitting and inevitable ways that I'm contributing to that inequality. Yes. That feels really icky to me. So I'm I'm asking a big question here, I know. Oh. <laughs> but but you see where I'm going with this? Like I'm oh, not sure I'm I not do. sure the answer is, you know, keep keep the same structure and give it to different people. Yeah. 
And how do we reconcile that with our own values? Mm. Solve it for us, Megan. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just want to say you're you're spot on from my perspective. There is such a danger. And I feel this, oh, I've, gosh, I feel this so strongly. And I, it's, I'm not talking about it as much as I would like to be talking about it. But we, one of the reasons I believe this work is so important to do on an internal level, simultaneously with the work that we're doing collectively, is just that if we don't, we are going to replicate the exact same system in another form, different hands, maybe a little more progressive, a little bit better, but not ultimately where we want to get to, where we want to arrive. And I see it with, or I've seen it with Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the delusion and fantasy and the projection of what people think that could be when there's such a shadow to mm-hmm. what exists there then there's like the fantasy of barter and there's the, then there's also the fantasy of seven figure super high powered women in business if if we want to just generalize it that way it takes many forms but those are some of the ways that we fantasize about it being different yeah i believe like my my orientation currently, and I, it's it's in evolution. It's it's changing as I change, as I explore and learn more, and and open my imagination to what is possible. But I just feel like it's such an important inquiry to understand for ourselves what is plenty, what is plenty yeah. for us. Yeah, and that really stems from Lynn Twist's work with, I don't know if you've read The Soul of Money, mm. but her, her, her definition, her understanding of the word plenty really is that expansive. It, it means more to me than abundance. It means, yeah. it means like abundance. And, and I, I often cringe a little bit when I hear people use the word abundance and yeah. abundance mindset and all of yeah. that because in our culture especially in 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 the west and with capitalism it's like abundance means like abundance of more of more 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 there's it's like there's no end to that yeah. and i see that with like the the striving for seven figures yeah. the striving for more almost in an arbitrary way with no real rootedness about mm. why, why mm-hmm. is that much money necessary? Because well, maybe it's not. Well, and I agree. Abundance for me is has an equivalency with pro- productivity, right? Yes. It's that kind of like it's it's a bottomless pit. It's, it's never ending. Yes, and yes. we and we kind of feel like well, this much feels really good, so way much more must feel even better. Right. Right. right? And but I don't think that's true. It's not. And in fact, I mean, the, the word plenty to me brings up like where, where I go and where I go with clients is what is satiating? Mm. When is it plenty? You know, mm-hmm. that, that real feeling of plenty. For some people, that number might be seven figures. 
For other people, it might be $50,000. It doesn't, mm -hmm. the amount doesn't matter. It's really knowing deeply and being very honest with ourselves and seeing very clearly what that actual number is yeah. for us and giving ourselves permission to not deny, not mm -hmm. be in deprivation, to really honor ourselves and what our needs are, but not, but also not go to excess. Yeah. Our globe, our earth cannot sustain excess. And it certainly can, it cannot sustain excess for everyone on the planet. Mm -hmm. Therefore, there is an inherent equity piece like built in to like if, if our value is around equity built in is we need to recognize what is plenty for us mm -hmm. without deprivation because there is plenty for everyone mm -hmm. but really asking how can we share it yeah how can we <clears throat> ensure that everyone can have access to that plenty yeah and that means circulating more money not having it um concentrated in yeah. in the wealthy few <laughs> yeah number one but i think it, it really requires that introspection for ourselves and a real honesty with ourselves about what we need and what is enough and not just following blindly to mm -hmm. what other people say you need that's another mm. thing that i find really challenging and especially mm -hmm. being like a quote-unquote money coach there are so many money coaches out there who are striving to help their clients make more and more and more and more money and i, I do help my clients make more and more money up to what they want to make yeah. but we recognize when we're looking at the numbers of what that plenty actually looks like what the actual yeah. factual reality of that plenty looks yeah. like and it's surprising for people yeah. and i think about i all i often think about this one client i worked with years ago who i took her through this exercise that i take my clients through called an earning ceiling meditation and it takes people through a pretty wide range of income and it really opens up your imagination and it also illuminates different belief systems very quickly about what comes up at different thresholds. And at the end of it, she said, it's incredible that what I saw at each single stage was exactly the same. Yes. And it hit at a very low number. Like what, what she saw for her life, like the most expanded vision of her life was literally a little cottage on an island in, the, in British Columbia writing. And she was a writer and having my tea and having the freedom to write. But it was hitting at every single stage. And she was like, I don't need more than this. I don't yeah. require more than this. I don't desire more than this. This is like, it would be excessive after a certain point. And so often when I'm doing that exercise with people, people start laughing at a certain point yeah. in groups uh, all the time. It's like people will start laughing. I'll see it on their faces. They're just like, what? what is the what for what you know yes for yeah what? 
Yeah. You know, as you're talking, you're reminding me back to Greece. Ash, my partner and I, we were swimming in the sea and there was this house on the hill that we both adore and it looks right out over the ocean and you can see it when you're swimming in the sea. And we know that a doctor from Athens owns it because all the locals know <laughs> we it's a very small island. All the locals know everybody. And and Ash and I often talk about oh, one day we'll buy the doctor's house. You know, it's a kind of running fantasy yes. with us. And my husband, who is quite a thoughtful Virgo and is ever practical, was saying, yeah, but if we did, then we'd really have to move here. Right. And we couldn't we couldn't have a second home because let's play that out. And we did. We looked at what would it be like to buy a home on an island that is is not particularly wealthy and the Greek economy is very turbulent and people don't earn a lot of money there. You know, the the main economy is tourism and it's Mm -hmm. very seasonal. And whenever we go, which is usually in September off season, all the locals are knackered. (laughs) They're just so (laughs) tired, you know, but it's much quieter then. And we played it through and we were like, oh, but what would actually what would that actually be like to mm-hmm. feel like we were coming into a country that isn't isn't really our place? Mm-hmm. And we were taking a home from a local person mm-hmm. effectively. Yeah. And you know, how did, that didn't sit right with either of us. And it was really interesting. We were joking about how, you know, it just takes Ash to think something through to ruin a fantasy, you know. <laughs> But, but it was quite amusing to us because yeah. I think we're both quite good at not taking the, you know, the, the fantasy at face value. I mean, it probably doesn't do us any favours sometimes. <laughs> but I think that's the reality is when you start actually thinking, what do I need? And for me, you know, it's very much a a sort of visceral thing of how do I feel when I think about that? Mm-hmm. You know, for, we bought this house six years ago and it had had the same family in it for 50 years and we waited a year and renovated it and we're about to rent it out because we're moving to New Zealand for a few years to look after my mother-in-law and it's kind of like our whole kind of financial security is tied in this home but it's more than just a home to us like it was the sanctuary during COVID probably saved my life that Mm. we could live here and be very comfortable here and we weren't kind of um, putting ourselves at risk in any way and I just keep thinking about home for me is not it's not a property right it's very much that sanctuary and I think that's true for so many people I know that actually the idea of having a home that's safe that's that belongs to you or, Mm. or at least to you for your lifetime because I'm consciously aware that constantly aware that we are we only kind of own it for a bit of time but there's something about that idea of what is wealth to me what feels plenty to me it is it's that ability to know I'm safe and I'm in my home I can't no one can move me out of here like that that kind of insecurity in the rental market just feels really it makes me feel unsteady just even imagining what that must be like. So to own your own home, to be able to feed your family, mm-hmm. to have your nice tea, to do work that's meaningful, to have community, to be able to walk to places that 
you know, yeah. matter to you. Yeah. These things are not complicated. They yeah. certainly don't require multiple six figures, seven figures. So I'm kind of like, why do we think that our that happiness, meaning, joy mm-hmm. is so tied to our economic standing? We could really speak all day on on that why. But I I just want to just meet your articulation of your own needs and how that is honoring of yourself. I need a sanctuary. Yeah. I need a stability underneath me. Everyone is different. And this is mm. where like not everyone needs that. Some people for their their requirement is actually freedom of movement, not being tied yes. down, not having that, not having that burden of that responsibility. I yes. have it. Good <laughs> reminder. <laughs> I happen to love, I mean, my home is just, it is a sanctuary. I can, like, I feel it's such a deep core need for me. I, I am not able to do my work in the way that I am without that grounded anchor that I have. So to me as well, it is so important. And Mm -hmm. it is, it's, it's one of those, it's one of the pieces of our lives that I witness with my clients where that's not true for everyone, but because we've been fed this expectation of buying a home as being one of the pillars of Mm -hmm. attaining wealth. And it certainly is. And that's part of the design, but of, of our economy, (laughs) but to question that it's a perfect place to question is that true for me or is am i just following this arbitrarily because i'm supposed to want a house with a white picket fence yeah and we can translate that to anything a big house a fancy car vacations not everybody wants to go on vacation as strange Mm. as that sounds not everybody Mm -hmm. wants that some people just really love the simplicity of Mm -hmm. their own life Mm -hmm. and it's actually really unappealing to go on a big grand adventure and yet there is cultural and societal status attached to that form of wealth and so it's like radical reclamation of what it what is true for us Mm -hmm. and to see wealth you know like the wealth that we create around us and our own bodies but to include in that our communities and the health, the financial health and well-being of the people in our in our communities, to see that as a part of our wealth. So when I think just circling back to your original question that I may have veered veered from, but about what that vision looks like, it has to, it must include the wealth of those in our vicinity and in the global community, yeah. you know. That we can't ignore that we can't pretend like that isn't a part that directly impacts our own well-being our own wealth like if you if you strip that away if you strip away the wealth of everyone around you how wealth how quickly how quickly will you feel unwealthy mm-hmm. <laughs> if everyone else doesn't have wealth around you yeah. like yeah it's it's not we are wealthier together by upholding yeah and strengthening the fabric of our collective wealth. And that's the, 
I mean, we're, we're just witnessing, we're just living through such extreme disparity, wealth yeah. disparity, income disparity, that it is, it's visceral. I mean, I don't, it's, it's very hard to, to be reconciling that on a, on a daily basis, really, but we can't ignore that. That can't be excluded from yeah. our vision of what wealth is for us personally. Yeah. You know, I'm reminded of Charles Eisenstein's work. He's a an economist, but he's he's so much broader than that. And he talks about how there's no waste in nature. Yes. Like in the natural world, we don't, there's no like yeah. hoarding for the sake yeah. of it. Yes. There's, everything's in balance. There is a there is an ecosystem that functions in nature. Yes. And and it feels to me like that's that that's almost the bit that's missing for us right now. And it feels like we're we're getting the lesson, right? As more and more extreme climate events occur, we will start to see climate refugees. We will start to have pressure put on countries that have more resources by those who have less. So we're go- we're going to have to figure out what's the what's the new ecosystem, and and it feels like there is a reckoning coming around this stuff. You know, we talk about, I I find it fascinating that we talk about late stage capitalism. We don't talk about what happens after the collapse. After the collapse. Yes. Yes. And that's, and it feels like that's going to happen in our lifetime. It, It does. It does. And there are days where that can feel very, very dark and gloomy to me. And other days where I feel actually a lot of hope and a lot of, a lot of potential and a lot of possibility. And this is why I feel so passionate about being in this inquiry and having mm-hmm. other people join in this inquiry personally to begin exploring it and begin developing that internal resilience of when there is that reckoning to still maintain that internal sense of wealth and mm-hmm. well-being. And I love that you brought up Charles's work. Sacred economics has been a big influence for me. Mm. When I read it years ago, I was like, oh, this is so aligned. Some of his work now is not as aligned with me, but I do re- really respect, especially that book. And the not not all of it, but a lot of it. And the idea of an ecosystem and looking to nature and nature is has always been my guide. In fact, it's mm. sort of the reason why I named my business the way I did is just thinking of tending to wealth as tending to the earth and to mm-hmm. our gardens and really holding that metaphor. And now, and especially working with heart-centered business owners who are really doing their work from a very soulful place, I see us as a part of that ecosystem, sharing our gifts and receiving in return for those gifts as a part of being active in that ecosystem, Mm -hmm. directly engaged with that co-creation of of what is possible within an ecosystem, that we're all coming here, bringing forward what we have to share for this time. And we also, need to make sure that others are also taken care of and that we're not taking more than our more than our plenty and so that's yeah it's it's, and and I can really see the connection and I hope folks listening can too that 
when we do this work of tending to our own needs, our own version of plenty, and then we meet each other, when everyone's needs are taken care of, then there isn't that sense of you have more than me, the comparison and the the kind of the guilt and the savior complex and all of the stuff that happens that actually we get to create lives that have meaning and fulfillment for our, for a, each of us. Mm. And that becomes a way of meeting each other. Mm. Oh, so beautiful. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that there's kind of like this, yeah, meeting each other without like, just it's it's even hard to imagine because we're living through such extremes right now to imagine meeting each other without that disparity without that without that scarcity in the background and to open to the possibility and the potential of what that holds yeah that's where i get i get chills all over my body and i just think that is possible too as as possible as the devastation is that is possible Mm -hmm. too and Mm -hmm. we have to hold and protect that vision Mm. even for even a millisecond Mm. step into the possibility of that and Mm. what that would feel like Mm -hmm. how can we emanate that how can we be in conversation with that right now and and this is (laughs) this is the the thing that I I keep coming back to for myself is you know and and it's a it's a kind of a I don't know it's a belief system I don't I don't know where it comes from but I've always sort of looked at leadership like the kind of hierarchical leadership and thought yeah I don't know like and I think (laughs) I've been really lucky in my corporate career before I trained as a coach that I got to hang out with some pretty powerful folks and I realized very quickly they're all making it up as they go along as well yeah and so you know I, I kind of come back to this idea we are all leading the mm. world that we want we are all co-creating and yes. co-leading in the creation of the world we want to live in like yeah. we can't wait because the leaders don't know and they're showing us who they are and they don't know what to do they don't have all the answers but the grassroots collective voices that are saying, hey, what about this? Let's try this idea. Everyone is there pulling their part of the wall down and every single person kind of matters and is needed. And the idea that you can be in conversation with your relationship with money, with your relationship with self-doubt, these areas of stickiness and you know, ickiness and crunchiness and trauma for all of us, mm-hmm. they are the doorways. You, when you yes. have the courage to open those things up and say, what is going on for me here? Like, why is this so shit? Like, there has to be a way through, right? <laughs> yeah. And when you do that healing work, you are then able to kind of feel resourced within yourself so that you are more peaceful, more joyful, more just able to take care of yourself in the muck and bullets of life so that you are meeting other people and your energy is having an impact on on those folks as well like I think that's how it works like you know it's not not (laughs) the famous people with you know 
don't mistake popularity for impact. Yes. You know, I think that's the bit that we get a little bit screwed up with. Your own individual healing work mm-hmm. is has a massive impact on the people yes. around you. Now I'm on a soapbox, Megan. <laughs> you are, and I love it. <laughs> and it's it's absolutely, it's, it's exactly the way I see it. And yeah. whatever portal we choose, and the mm-hmm. portal that I work with is, is money, but it's the courage and bravery to step into that discomfort, to begin that healing path of shedding the the narratives the the weight the burden that we've held and we're just in a massive shedding moment Mm. we're we're living in it Mm -hmm. in a very acute sense right now of structures collapsing what we have always believed collapsing you know it's just it's a it's a pretty radical time to be alive and and it can be unsettling and i think especially you know just thinking about money and the role that money plays in our lives it's the most threatening <laughs> to go into that inquiry often because it represents like the one anchor even the fantasy of it represents the one anchor that we can kind of grab onto it does require bravery and we're all like like sometimes i just see like like this black thick metalish gunk like you know like cracking off you know like that we're leaving behind wow. like let's just yeah. crack it off and leave it behind and or not even leave it behind actually i've been really feeling lately like it's transmutation is what we need yeah. to be doing right now i don't think it's casting it away i think it is alchemizing it transmuting it shifting it mm-hmm. using the system that we have using the money that we have and infusing it with different energy yeah consciously saying this money i this money in my wallet today when i pay the person making my coffee or at the cash register at the store that i love I am in that relationship of reciprocity. This is my way of supporting you to support me and my needs. Mm -hmm. This is an exchange of energy. This is a symbolic exchange of energy and an acknowledgement of gratitude for what you are providing and what allows me to sustain myself and to thrive in my life. That to me is where we really do have so much more power than we think. We think we need the millions of dollars to be a philanthropist. No, I say you just need the conscious awareness and in that value exchange when you're paying for anything during well, your day. I, I mean, I, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. And how lovely is it to make a purchasing decision from someone that you kind of have a relationship with? Yes. Like it's what I just love Instagram for that. Yes. You know, for putting me for, for putting people in my area. Like I just think about the makers and the crafts people, the artisans, the you know, the 
folks that are doing their thing in the world and have the self-belief to go, hey, I've got this thing. Do you want it? Yes. And then you go, yes, I do want that thing. And then they send it to you in the most beautifully packaged thing with a card that's from a human. Yes. Like there, there is nothing Amazon could do to replicate that. No. And as soon as we all go, oh, yeah, that feels way better. <laughs> like we are <laughs> replicating the kind of, you know, the market yes. in, in its truest sense, which, you know, yeah. is that kind of, you know, place you can walk to on the weekends and get the things that you need for your home and the beautiful, helpful things. Yeah. And you, you make eye contact with the person who's buying it from you and they tell you where they made it. And it, there is a relationship there that that thing represents and you know now I I when I look around our home I just think about oh I remember the person that I bought that from yes. you know I remember yeah. my friend Helen bought me those earrings from that place that she yes. said oh my god you have to buy your jewelry from there and it it's it has real joy attached to it it's not just a thing anymore and it means that you're likely to keep that thing to tend to it to care for it and for it to have a sense of place in your life yes. and and it, you can start to see how that snowball effect yeah takes on a new meaning so we're not kind of scanning through stuff late at night when we're feeling a bit lonely and going I know I'll buy a thing that will make me feel better <laughs> you know yeah. if we change our relationship with with not just what we allow ourselves to receive but who we give our money to who we give our money to, yes. And that appreciation of the product, service, the thing that you are purchasing that supports your life. I often love to envision like, like even just getting a carton of milk, it's like how many people were involved? Yeah. What an incredible thing. Like how many yeah. people have been in the chain to bring this into my fridge for my tea in the morning. Mm -hmm. And if we can think about that, we become so much more connected to the, to the wealth of belonging in the broadest sense, which mm -hmm. I believe really does alleviate that sense of loneliness that mm -hmm. is epidemic in our Western culture, at least. And consumerism just feeds on and marketing yeah. feeds on is yeah. that that deprivation and yeah. so you know it's like <laughs> unfortunately our needs when we are really clear about our needs there is an impact on the economy mm. <laughs> but, mm. i mean we're, we're all beneficiaries in different ways to the to the economy as it is right now but there will be impact you know, yeah. when we really recognize what it is we need. And just to be clear, I just want to make sure that I'm not coming across as like anti-consumerist, you know, like I am in some sense, but I also love beautiful things. And I love, <laughs> you know, spending money on, on things that bring me joy and pleasure. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I'm living some monkish life. Over yeah. here. That's not. <laughs> and you're not churning your own butter. I'm not churning my own butter. We, <laughs> we do. I do enjoy just be, for the pure pleasure of it. I do enjoy yeah. making things myself, but it's not, yeah. it's not out of like 
frugality to extreme. It's just the recognition of like what my life needs. And I just know that it, for my personal life, it just, it's just much different than Mm. what our culture um, lays out as the, as the fantasy goal. Yeah. Well, and on mass, when we all make conscious purchasing decisions where we try and stay a bit local and you know think about where we're spending our money and you know make good choices basically yes yes it 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 will create the collapse of capitalism as we know it it just might be a softer landing yes it will be a softer landing Yeah. yeah like like maybe we won't have to have the revolution we can have an evolution like I know that's a bit cheesy to think of it that way but there is something for me about the sense of if capitalism collapses it's it's kind of like all over and I think no (laughs) it just means that we really we really shift our priorities we we change what we value collectively Mm-hmm. And right now, what we value is productivity for the sake of it and wealth for the sake of it. Yeah. And no one is really happy except for a very, very small number of people. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of love, there's a podcast called Upstream and they have a kind of catch line that you don't hate Mondays, you hate capitalism. Uh, and I kind of love that idea that actually, you know, we can all work for someone else or work for ourselves or whatever. But when we're doing meaningful work and that's fairly, there's a fair exchange of, of money for that time and, and skill and experience, then, you know, and we're treated with respect. Yes. When the principles of what we value are kind of shared and they feel fair to us, then that's the collapse of capitalism as we know it. And that there will still be, this beautiful exchange, you know, if if we're staying in this vision, like there will still be the exchange of goods. There always has been. It's just who's benefiting Mm -hmm. and how fulfilled are we? Yeah. Who's being exploited? Who's being exploited? Who's being, who's, who's fulfilled? And and if we can hold that vision that yeah. this is not a, it's like there is that fear that is very yeah. natural for our human minds yeah. of this con- this great contraction that mm-hmm. will be a devastation in a sense, mm. but that's also just in alignment with that old paradigm. And if we open to a different paradigm, like wealth could mean having a lot of free time to connect with your family still having all of the comforts of mm-hmm. you know like the abundant comforts like they will still exist we will still create them we are mm. incredible at mm-hmm. creating beauty around us mm-hmm. if we just like shift how we're using our time mm-hmm. there is more than plenty to create all that we need mm-hmm. it's really just like the the values are going to shift and yeah. that allowing those values to shift again even in subtle ways is part of that part of that Mm. evolution that we can be participating in right now and helping to bring forward and and you know I have Aries rising so there is a part of me that's like let's just set fire to the whole freaking thing Uh and start again (laughs) right like there is a deep impatience in me as well (laughs) 
<laughs> but I just want to acknowledge that for anyone else who's like, well, that's nice. <laughs> I'm I'm an actual Aries. I'm an Aries. Son. Are you? Are you? I, oh my I goodness. <laughs> yeah. 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 And and I think that that kind of fire of like yeah. just wanting the change and wanting it fast. I think that that's part of this too, right? Is we think, yeah. you know, move fast and break things. We could also move slow and heal things. Yes. So there is that. <laughs> and and we need all of us. We need yeah. <laughs> We need yeah. we need the, the fire starters and we need the, yeah. the the slow and steady. I just do my best to stay to spend more time in that space um, totally. and, and to and to talk about it, even if it's so imperfect. Even if I don't really yeah. have the full vision, I just have glimpses. Yeah. But I just feel like oh, completely. And and I just think neither of us are economists. What, what no, the hell do we, we know? We don't have the answers. But it's kind of like. I don't think you have to put that pressure on yourself. No, no. Imagining the the that hopeful, you know, very equality seems to matter to both of us quite deeply. And I think imagining that where the well-being of all, including the planet and the non-human forms yeah. of beings, are are tended to, cared for, respected, you know. We don't have to know all the answers for that to matter and to be worth imagining. Honestly, I've been looking forward to this chat for a while. I knew it would be just, you know, glorious. You're absolutely just food for the imagination. Yeah. Well, this has just been absolutely delightful. Thank you so much. Folks, if you're interested in Megan's work, all of her contact details are in the show notes, including a generous offer for Megan's group around tended wealth. Please do go check that out. You need to go follow this woman on Instagram. She posts such thoughtful, beautiful things. May you all flourish and have plenty. Plenty (laughs) for all. (laughs) Plenty for all.